Good morning. Welcome to Emmett Audio. So we're going to up where we left off yesterday, which is having described the safe knife grips, I'm now going to talk about um, the directions that each of the cuts are typically made on a spoon. And this has to do with grain orientation. So if you establish your spoon within the billet of wood the way that I do, where you push that shallow Nike swoosh down into the wood to create the top face, what that does is it sets up a very predictable grain flow pattern within your spoon in which on the top face of the spoon, everything flows down into that deepest point. So from the tip of the bowl down to the deepest point and from the tip of the handle down to the deepest point, which is the shoulder and neck of the spoon. Now on the bottom of the spoon, everything flows away from that deepest point. It's, if you flip it over, that then becomes the highest point. That's the mountain peak, right? The sort of back deepest part of the bowl. Everything flows downhill from there. So from that deepest part of the bowl to the tip of the spoon, and from the deepest part of the bowl down to the end of the handle. On the sides, people get a little tripped up. Generally, you go from the widest part of the bowl up towards the tip, and from the widest part of the bowl in towards the neck. And then from the widest part of the handle in towards the narrower part of the handle, and depending on the type of handle you're doing, that can differ. <clears throat> so, a couple tricks I wanna talk about. First of all, when you are carving your spoon, it is easy to over carve the neck. And this usually happens because of two reasons. One is that it is tricky to trim up the sides of the neck because that's where the grain change happens. And so it rarely happens perfectly, especially when it's really thick at the early stage of the spoon. It's just much harder to get it completely clean. But people who are obsessed with getting it totally clean will often overcarve that area because they're trying to get it clean now without recognizing that they're going to need to come back and carve a little bit off that area with each step just to sort of straighten things out, trim things up, slim things down, clean up the surface one last time. If you don't leave yourself material to remove and you try and get it right down to the perfect line at the beginning, you're going to end up having to cut past that perfect line later on. So. I always advise people to leave the neck, in particular, rough. Don't try and get it perfect. Get it close to the line you want, but don't get it exactly at the line you want, and don't try to get it perfect right away. Let it be rough. It is rare to be able to clean up the neck of a spoon with uh, when it is at that earliest, chunkiest stage of the spoon blank. The other reason people overcarve the neck is that carving down the back of the neck, what we call the keel, is very easy. To go from the deepest part of the bowl down the back of the neck, that's a power cut. It's very easy to do that as a pull stroke and it's easy to remove too much material too soon. Instead, I would recommend pulling it down somewhat but leaving a little more than you intend to leave 
right up until the very end of the spoon carving process. I think of that as an insurance policy against um, uh, having to cut the, the width of the neck a little narrower than you intended and then needing that extra depth to keep the neck strong. If you over carve the back of the neck early on, you don't have the ability to keep it strong because you can have a neck that's strong two ways. It can either be strong because it's wide or strong because it's deep. And you don't know if you're going to need it to be deep until you figure out how wide it's going to be. Some spoon designs I deliberately leave quite wide. Come on, Willa! So the trick is to leave that deepest part of the neck a little thicker than you intend. And then you can go back at the very, very end of the process and trim it down to the thickness that you actually want. <clears throat> now, the part where people get most bent out of shape is trying to clean up those shoulders. So here's what I'd say. First of all, don't worry about getting them cleaned up in the beginning. But when you are, when you have redrawn the shape, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and you're getting ready to sort of trim your shape one more time, that's the moment when you want to uh, pay attention to your shoulders and try and get it right. So here's what you do. First of all, you want your wood to be a little on the dry side. If it's too green, no matter how sharp your knife is, it's going to lift the fibers. Second of all, birch is always going to be a pain in the neck. So choose something like cherry or beech that has shorter brasher fibers, uh, and it will just give you a cleaner finish. Maple also. Walnut depends. Um, fruit wood depends. So, point being, sometimes it's just the species giving you a hard time. The tip of your knife needs to be as sharp as possible, just at the tip, and you're going to use just the tip because that tip can pivot in a very tight radius and clean that up. If your tip is not as sharp as it could be, you will tell right here, this is the canary in the coal mine of, is my tip actually sharp or have I just been getting away with it? If it's actually sharp, you will be able to achieve this. If it's not, you'll know and stop and sharpen your knife, paying close attention to the tip. <clears throat> the trick is to cut down the neck until you are underneath whatever messiness is happening right at the, right at the shoulder neck transition. And then when that's done, with just the tip of the knife, I'm sorry, when you cut down the neck, you want to leave it attached. That's the key part. Leave that whole thing attached. And then, so you get those beautiful sort of curly shavings still attached to the neck. And then, you come around from the shoulder end, well, sounds like I have a car coming. Uh, you come around from the shoulder end, I think I do. Come here, dogs. Come here. Come. Come here. Right here. Maisie, Willa, come here. No. Come here. Willa, come here. Sit. Sit. Stay. Okay, we're just going to let this truck go by. Willa, stay. You pay attention to me. Okay. Let's go. All right. Um, it's rare to see a truck on this road. So then you come around from the shoulder with just the tip of the knife 
and you ease your way under that part that you left attached. Sometimes I do this in, over the series of three or four sort of exploratory cuts. So I'll get down through 75% of it on the first cut and then I'll just gently try and ease my way under those remaining layers of attached uh, strips of wood that, are, that were cut earlier. Because what I want is to sort of just get underneath it and no more. And that's how you clean up the shoulders. Now, before you even get to that stage though, I'm gonna to need to describe these two cuts that I use to cut the top rim of the spoon. I'm gonna describe them in great detail, but they're hard to visualize unless you've already seen me do it. And even then, um, they're gonna take some practice. So, these cuts allow you to trim the line of the top rim of the bowl. And the cuts are basically on a shallow angle, slanting slightly outward from the center of the bowl. That way you don't have to cut all the way across flat across the top face of the bowl to change the line you want. You don't have to remove all that material. You just need to do a shallow angle. So the first cut, they're both pivot cuts. And the key thing about pivot cuts is that uh, the force you're applying to the knife is in the opposite direction of the force of the direction that the knife is traveling. And that means that there's no danger of uh, there's no danger of of the knife moving. Sorry, I was listening for more uh, another truck. There's no danger of the knife moving and cutting you. So for the first pivot cut, which is going to be the left side of the bowl. Willa, get out of there. Come on. Which is going to be the left side. Come on, Willa. Let's go. Come on. Which is going to be the left side of the bowl if you're a righty if you're looking at it with the tip facing away from you, you're gonna take your spoon hand and put the first two fingers of your spoon hand on the end of the bowl and you're gonna support underneath the bowl with the side of your thumb, the side to the tip of your thumb. Your ring and pinky fingers are gonna be sticking straight up and you're gonna take your knife hand with the blade facing you and you're going to stick the knuckles of your knife hand against that ring and pinky finger. That forms the pivot. The tip of the knife can now angle down from there and just catch the tip of the spoon and then cut around in a pivoting motion to cut the rim of the spoon. It's going to be the uphill rim of the spoon, the part that's braced against the tip of your thumb. And the trick to getting the pivoting motion is you need to be pressing outward with your knife hand against those, against the, the ring and pinky fingers. It's that outward pressing. And then as you pivot, you lift your knife elbow. And you have to make sure that you're pressing out and not trying to pull back towards yourself. The cut needs to happen from a pivot. That's so important. It doesn't, it's not safe to try and do this cut as a pull stroke because your elbow is out and you also have very little uh, control over the curvature when you're doing a pull stroke. With a pivot stroke, you have absolute control over exactly what you want to do. So 
knuckles of the knife hand against the ring and pinky finger of the spoon hand. And you're going to lift your knife elbow and that's going to pivot the knife, the blade, down and towards yourself. Now, dogs, come here. Come here. Maisie, no. Maisie, come here. Come here. Come here. Sit. Good dogs. <clears throat> Busy day. Okay. All right, let's go back to the truck. Good dogs. All right, so that's pivot cut number one. That does one side of the rim. Pivot cut number two is equally awkward. So here goes. Willa, no. Willa, no. Hey, Willa. No. Absolutely not. I don't care how enticing it is to chase something. You do not chase cars. No. No. Sorry, I need to reprimand my dog here for a second. Hey, you pay attention to me. No. Are we clear? You do not do that. Come on, Maisie, let's go. Ah, puppies. Okay, the second pivot cut is um, you hold the spoon with the handle sticking out between your pointer and middle finger and the tip of the spoon tucked right into the base of your thumb. So the bowl is between your fingers and your thumb. Then you stick the handle, the tip of the handle, against your other leg, the opposite leg. <clears throat> this is gonna help brace the spoon while you make the pivot cut. The tip of the thumb that has the spoon braced against it is going to be the pivot point. And, wow, Willa is just out of control with the running. Come on, dogs. And the knife hand is going to basically be pulling the spine of the blade back against that tip of that thumb. In that pulling motion, in the pulling back motion, you can then pivot the handle back towards yourself and that pivots the blade away from yourself which allows it to cut the rim. Now to get the very tip of the rim you kind of need to cheat your hand over to the side so that you can really get just the tip of the rim. And you should be able to then from there cut at a shallow angle with just the tip of the knife and again pivoting on the tip of your thumb, not using your thumb to clamp the blade down against the spoon. That's not going to work. You're just pulling the back spine of the blade back against your thumb, the same thumb that's bracing the tip of the spoon bowl. And with that backward pulling motion, you are pivoting the tip of the blade forward 
and it's cutting. Now, you only want to cut half the rim, and then you want to get your pointer finger out of the way because you're cutting towards your pointer finger. So you cut half the rim with your pointer finger there, then you shift your pointer finger underneath so it's side by side with your middle finger, and you're kind of holding the spoon like it's a, like you're a third grader and you're pretending it's a gun. And you then can cut using the same pivot the rest of the rim. Now the reason the rim is willing to cut all the way cleanly from the tip of the bowl around to the neck on both sides is because you have placed the deepest part of the crank right back where the shoulders come together for the neck. If you put the crank, if you position the outline of the spoon so that the middle of the bowl is where that deepest part is, you're going to run into problems. You're not going to be able to cut this rim the same way. You're going to end up feeling like it's going uphill in the grain when you get to those back shoulders. And you're going to get stuck right on the side of the rim going back and forth and back and forth with it, uh, with the grain direction that's going to happen there. So, setting yourself up right to make these cuts easy is the key to uh, easily adjusting the curvature of the rim. Now, as far as design goes, I think it's important for the curvature of the rim to be a slight swoop. If it's completely flat across, when you pull, this is particularly for eaters, everything else is just mostly aesthetics. If it's perfectly flat across for eaters, when you pull it out of your mouth, the fact that it doesn't curve uh, lifts up your lip, your upper lip on either side as it goes across that middle section. So if you cut a very slight curve, then it won't lift up your lip, it'll pull out of your mouth smoothly. So you want a very slight curve to your rim. <clears throat> the other thing is that, remember how I said to leave the spoon blank thick on those back shoulders? Don't pull up the backside of the shoulders too much until you push down these top shoulders of the spoon. You can adjust how much crank your spoon has at this stage by how much you trim the rim of the bowl, particularly how you change the angle of that rim as you move the cut into the back shoulders on either side. By pushing the back shoulders down on the top, you are increasing the amount of crank a spoon has. If you made a spoon that you feel like has too much crank, which is equally possible, the best way to remove crank is to push down the tip more and leave the back shoulders as high as possible. But it's much more common, I feel like, unless you're carving crooks, which I've already discussed how I feel about those. It's much more common if you're carving straight grain wood to just not have quite enough crank, but just a little bit. And this is how, and I actually do almost always deliberately start out with spoon blanks that don't have quite enough crank because it's so easy to introduce more crank into the spoon by pushing down these back shoulders at this stages. Come on dogs. So here we are. You've carved around the outline. You've trimmed the top shoulder of the spoon. Now you're going to, once you get that line of the top of the, the top rim of the spoon the way you want, then it's time to trim the back of the spoon. And for this, I would mostly just, uh, I, I keep it pretty rough until the end. Mostly what I want to do is define the 
curvature of the underside of the spoon, which happens in a strip right at the middle, right? If you think of the way a spoon is curved, whatever happens in the middle of the spoon defines what it looks like from the side. So I cut that line and then I cut the rim. Because if you go from that middle part and try and blend it out to the rim, you're probably not going to hit the rim perfectly evenly all the way around. You're going to overcut at least one or two areas. So if instead you do the middle line and then you carve exactly around the rim to, again, have the, the thickness of the rim, which is what I do at each stage. I, I cut the rim in half. Uh, you're going to be very easily, you're going to get exactly the rim you want. And then you can blend between those two facets that you've made, the one at the rim and the one in the middle. And you can blend that to be exactly the curvature you want quite easily. And that's much easier to sort of achieve uh, symmetry that way. Now, it's important as you're cutting the rim to be looking at the spoon nose on and end on so that you can see if the handle is twisted when compared to the rim. If the handle is twisted compared to the rim, you want to find it out at this early stage, at the roughing out stage. And there are two ways to skin this cat. One is you could pretend the rim is perfect and adjust all four sides of the handle, or you could pretend the handle's perfect and adjust just one side of the rim. I generally do that because it's one cut versus four cuts, but if I notice the twist while I am still cutting the handle, I might do a little of all of those things. I might adjust each side of the handle as I cut it for the first time with the knife, and I might adjust the rim. So at this stage, you're not just cutting to the line, you're also kind of making sure that the, the bowl and the handle don't have a twist between the two of them. This is important because uh, it's at this stage that you're sort of setting up the skeleton of the spoon so that everything is more easily aligned later on. If you don't pay attention to this now, you're not going to have enough material to adjust to it later. <clears throat> um, what else? There's there something else I wanted to say. Uh, oh yeah. Um, if you get grain tear out, which for me usually happens on the top of the handle, and usually it happens because I haven't leaned the handle far enough down into the billet of wood. So the handle is actually more aligned with the grain than anything else. Sometimes you can get tear out and depending on the piece of wood, it can be quite rough tear out. If you get grain tear out, depending on where it happens, it's not the end of the world, but it is useful to have a bag of tricks up your sleeve and to be able to take steps to carve a spoon that will take it, that will mitigate the amount of tear out. Usually tear out that happens in one plane. If you then put on a facet that's at 30 or 45 degrees to that plane, the tear out won't happen. It's only happening in the one plane. So uh, if what this functionally means is that if you have a handle that has terrible tear out on the top, if you decide to make it have sort of a center spine with big facets on either side sloping down, that usually mitigates the amount of tear out. Now, the reason you want to figure this out soon or rather than later is that if you keep chasing that tear out trying to make it perfect and keep it a rectangle, you might get to a point where you don't have enough material to push those big angled facets down into the handle. You just, you've boxed yourself into a corner. So figuring out what you're going to need to do for a tear out early on is 
important. The other thing that can be really helpful at this early stage of the spoon is to do what I call a bump down right at the neck, which is basically just a little scallop down that where the handle meets the shoulders. And you can put it further back on the handle if you want. But basically what this does, it's a nice little detail. It can turn into that little sort of rounded detail at the neck that I have on a lot of my spoons. But what it functionally does is it separates any adjustments that need to happen to the handle from adjustments that need to happen to the rim and vice versa. So that you can adjust the rim, it comes up to the bump down and then it, that's it. You don't have to mess around with it anymore. Or you can adjust the handle, it comes to the bump down and you don't have to blend it into the rim. That saves you a lot of time and agony that happens when you let the two, when you don't have a bump down, every time you adjust the handle, you need to adjust the rim and vice versa. So that bump down, if I feel like the wood is not gonna behave totally sweetly, then I will often put a bump down in. And that's a hedge against having to chase a line back and forth and back and forth across the wood of the spoon, um, across the transition from the shoulder to the neck. Um, so that bump down uh, will often stick around through the rest of the spoon and become that little neck detail, but it serves a very functional purpose as well. I guess tomorrow we're gonna talk about uh, drawing in the shape again and what's different when you trim the spoon out in the more refined state. Stay tuned for that.